On behalf of our church, the Benito Valley Seventh-day Adventist Church community, we want to welcome all of you, especially those of you who happen to be visiting San Diego uh, for this Thanksgiving holiday. Um, it's a privilege and a joy to have you with us. And hopefully you had a good Thanksgiving. Did y'all have a good Thanksgiving? Yeah. Did anyone uh, have uh, turkey this week? Yes? Okay. Did anyone have tofurkey this week? We've been talking about tofurkey, scaring my kids along the way. Well, we couldn't find a tofurkey. True story. We went to Trader Joe's. They had a vegan roast, but they sold out. So popular, in fact, they sold out all over San Diego. We tried the one in East Lake. We tried the one, uh, we had somebody look for it and couldn't find it, sold out. So veganism is on the rise. Just be careful. Somebody's going to sneak up on you. So we did the next best thing. We found another uh, vegan roast somewhere and we cooked it, brought it to our family's gathering. And there it sat like an oddity. People looked at it and said, what is that? Is that dessert? No. <laughs> what is that? And uh, it was it's kind of cool. It's flaky on the outside. It had stuffing on the inside, a vegan roast. We tried it. Our family's been trying to eat a little healthier, and we've been uh, hoping to spread some of that love, certainly for our family, for our kids. And in this week experiment, we took it to our extended family. Some tried it, and they said, yeah, I don't know. We put a little gravy on it. You know, put a little gravy on it. Might make it a little less dry. But it was fun. My wife even made vegan pumpkin pie. Uh, it's a work in progress, but, uh, but we did good. We had a vegan... Um, Mashed potatoes, all you got to do is not add the buttermilk. Uh, it still tastes good. Potatoes are potatoes. You just put a little uh, dill on top. Anyway, we tried it. We had a good time. But the best thing about it was having family over. Amen? Well, for some people, this is a stressful time of the year because relatives come to visit. Sometimes relatives you haven't seen in a while. But for many of us, we look forward to seeing family and friends who come and visit. And uh, this particular um, Thanksgiving, uh, as my wife mentioned, my brother and his wife and their family came to join us. We, we love having the family full of kids and running around. But we did something unusual, something we've never done before. At my wife's leading, we signed up for what I think is like the most San Diego thing you can do on Thanksgiving morning. And it is to run in the Father Joe's Village's 5K uh, in Balboa Park. Has anyone ever done that? No one? Well, you haven't been San Diego long enough. Um, when we first moved here, we had people from this community saying, hey, come run with us on Thanksgiving morning. And we were like, who does that? Well, it turns out thousands of people do it in San Diego. And so there we were early Thursday morning. We had to be at the starting line at 7.30 in the morning on Thanksgiving morning, dressed in these kind of ridiculous orange shirts that we got. But there we were, along with thousands of other people lined up, which my brother said, this doesn't make any sense. Why would you pay someone to run on Thanksgiving morning? But that's what you do. You know, you sign up, you pay your entry fee, they give you a little number, and it doesn't really matter because no one is actually running. We're all just sort of walking. But there we were, our family of five plus the two dogs. That's an important part of being a San Diegan. If you hadn't figured it out yet, you got to have dogs. There were dogs all over the place. Big ones, little ones, medium-sized ones, people that look like dogs because they were in outfits. It was crazy. And we had a fun time doing a very San Diego thing. If you haven't done it yet, you should. We're going to do it again next year. It was a ton of fun because, you know, you at least work it out a little bit before you go and stuff your face when you go see the family later. 
Uh, and while we were walking, uh, we did, uh, it's kind of cool. You walk through Balboa Park over that big bridge, uh, through the Prado and over the big bridge. And then they close off the streets. Um, you kind of go through Hillcrest. And, and while we were walking, we just were commenting and talking. Yet we jogged a little bit, but not really. Mostly, you know, we walked, put the dogs in the stroller because they're small. They can't run that far. And we, you know... So there I was, pushing a stroller, not with kids, but with dogs. And, and while we were t- talking and laughing, we were just remarking, what a wonderful city that we live in. Amen? I got to throw it in there. I got to throw it in there. I do it every sermon because look at this. Here we are, right? It's the coolest place. We were walking through the city, and we were like, well, we never get to, like, look around because you're usually driving through these places. But they closed it off, and we're just walking through, and it was fantastic. My brother was commenting, oh, this is really cool. This is this is really neat that we get to enjoy that the city has these, these, these moments, these activities. And we were kind of remarking and being grateful for how blessed we are. Later, as we got together for lunch with the rest of the family, we did that thing we talked about last week where just before you eat, you pause and somebody says, well, is anyone going to say a few words? What are we thankful for? Did you do that? It was me. I was like, is anybody going to say thank you for anything? And we looked around, we looked around, and uh, my mom said, I got a few words. And she said, you know, thank you that the family's together. And we said, anyone else? We looked at my father, and he said, no words, no words, no words. Looked at my brother, and he said, no words, no words. Sometimes it's because they can't think of what they're grateful for. But this particular Thanksgiving they do know what they're grateful for. They just couldn't express it. My father's been ill. Uh, one of those illnesses that nobody wants to have. And yet, by God's mercy and grace, he's getting treatment. So this hard, crusty man <laughs> that I love was just overtaken by this idea of, of gratitude. So we stopped and we said, what are you thankful for? What are you thankful for? And then after we ate, my brothers and I sat around the table. And you probably did this too. You know, tummy full of pie and stuffing and all that stuff. And you started talking and reliving stories. Did you do that? Started talking about long time ago when you were kids. Well, you can only do it, obviously, if you're older. You, you can't do it if you're younger. But once you get a certain age, you start talking about what it was like. And, and we were having an intergenerational conversation. Maybe you did that, too. There were grandparents at the table, aunts and uncles, and there were grandkids. And we were having this discussion about when kids should get their cell phones for the first time. And it was a heated debate where some of the younger ones were like, I need my cell phone now. And, and then others were like, we never even had cell phones. And... Um, and then my father was like, hello, hello, because he doesn't really know how to operate his. So, hello. Um, and we're having this conversation about life and what it's like and the challenges of growing up. And, and as we were laughing and thinking, we were remembering growing up as a kid and some of the hardships that we went through and some of the things that we were grateful for. It's Thanksgiving. That's what you do, right? You sit back, you, you look around, and you take stock of where you are, where your family is, and you are grateful for that. And many of us have reason to be grateful. As we, my wife was saying earlier, since we moved to San Diego, we hardly ever travel on Thanksgiving holidays, which is a great, great blessing. Because if you're out there on the road, and I apologize, some of you guys have to do it, or you did it, there's tons of traffic on Wednesday, and it'll be on Sunday. So we're super grateful that people come to visit us. There's so many things to be grateful for. But today I want to ask the question, does God simply want us to be thankful, or does he want more than just thanks? Does he want more than just thanks? 
Over the last several months, we've been studying here in our church community uh, God's original intent for his people. We've been looking at the book of Exodus, uh, studying the story of God calling the Israelites when they were first formed as a people out of Egypt and uh, taking them, leading them towards the promised land. You probably have read that study, whether you've been around with us or, or, or you're visiting today, and I'm sure you've seen the movie, the, either the Charlton Heston version or the uh, animated version, Prince of Egypt. And you know the story of how God miraculously called the descendants of Jacob, the descendants of Abraham, out of Egypt and formed them into a nation that we call Israel. And in the book of Exodus, God kind of lays out some things, some steps and some invitations that we as a community have been trying to understand and recapture, reclaim for ourselves. And one of the things that we learned is that when God first called the people out of Egypt, they did not know him personally. They knew about him culturally, much like we have cultural understandings of Thanksgiving. We talked about this last week. But we don't know the experience of having to suffer through that first winter like the pilgrims did and then, and then survive to express thanks. It's very different for us. Thanksgiving is a, a way of just saying, wow, we're so lucky. But for them, it was a matter of life and death. And so while we have a cultural understanding of Thanksgiving, it's not really a personal experience of it. And in the same way, the Israelites, before they were called such, as they were descendants of Abraham and Jacob and Isaac, uh, they knew God culturally. They had some practices and ideas, but they did not know him personally. So when God first calls them out of Egypt, they don't know how to relate to him. So the story tells us in the book of Exodus that little by little, God tried to reveal himself and express himself to his people. And the things that God did was to demonstrate what a father does for his children. So he protected them, you recall, from the very beginning, from Egypt's armies. He provided for them passage through the Red Sea, manna from heaven, water in the deserts. He provided guidance for them, a cloud of fire by night and, and, and a pillar of shade by day. And he led them through. He gave them uh, protection, provision. He gave them purpose. And the Bible tells us, which we've studied here at length now, when they finally got to the door of Canaan, they got to Mount Sinai, which was God's Request at first, come and worship me on my mountain. When they finally got there, God was about to reveal the Ten Commandments in this glorious occasion where his presence rests upon the mountain. But just before that, we've been studying at length, in Exodus chapter 19, God says to the people, I'm about to give you something special, but first, let me extend this invitation. And he says, if you will follow my instructions, if you will obey my teachings, he says, then out of the whole world, you will be for me a chosen people. Exodus chapter 19. So we've been trying to uncover here in our community, what does that mean? What kind of invitation was that? And we believe, I believe that what God is doing there and he's doing now is he is calling people into a special relationship. We call it a next level relationship where he says, the whole world is mine, but I want a special relationship with you. And he tells the Israelites, you will be for me a chosen people, a holy nation, a kingdom of priests. The Apostle Paul calls it a royal priesthood in the New Testament. And in this new relationship, God challenges us to live different from everyone else. And we discovered here in the last few weeks, and we talked about it last week, that God's intent for us is to be exactly that, a kingdom of priests, a twofold expression of this 
new relationship. We talked about it last week. If you weren't here, just catch up real quickly. Now, John Orberg, the author and pastor, says that the kingdom of a priest concept means that we represent God's kingdom upon the earth. That everywhere we go, we bring his, his, his shield, his standard, and we represent God upon the earth. And by representing him, we bring blessings to the earth. It's the promise that God made to Abraham at the very beginning. Follow me. Go to this place that I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless the whole earth through you. That's what we are called into, to represent God and bless the world through everything that God has given us. And second, we are a kingdom of priests. We return to him, to God, the praises that he's due. That's what we did here last week when we created the chain that's in the lobby, our chain of gratitude. And what God is inviting us to is to into this special relationship of representing him and then returning to him this blessing, this praise. And so we as a community are trying to understand what that means for us and how we can live that way, how we can enter into this next level relationship. And the beauty of it is that when we enter into this next level relationship, God has many blessings in store for us. We've been uncovering here in our church community. Those blessings are physical God, in fact, promised that he would keep us free from diseases if we trusted his guidance. We've been discovering that. God's blessings for us are spiritual. God talks about how he can give us a sense of peace and confidence and strength even in the face of horrible circumstances. God's blessings for us are financial. We've been studying here. The last series was about how it all belongs to God and we just manage it. And if we learn to manage it the way he instructs us, then it will be multiplied. Amen? Don't you want that? So God's blessings for us are, 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 are multiplied as we represent him into the world and as we bring back praises. But the question we have today is, does God simply want us to say thank you? Does God simply want us to express gratitude by saying thank you? Or does he want more than that? Now, don't get me wrong. I do believe that saying thanks goes a long way, right? Those of you that, that, that worked really hard during Thanksgiving, you prepared this meal and slaved over a hot stove, I'm sure you appreciated when someone said thank you. Uh, they didn't just come in and ah, and then take off, right? You wanted them to say, wow, this is really good, mom, or or. Dad, if you did the cooking, you probably didn't. You were watching football or something. But if you did, I'm sure you would appreciate greatly if someone said, this is so nice of you. Thank you so much. So, yes, gratitude, saying thanks goes a long way. But it isn't natural in us, right? That's why when we're kids, we have to say, say thank you, say thank you. And the kids are like, thank you. Um, say thank you, say thank you, please and thank you. It's something that we have to teach. It isn't natural in us. Our natural instinct is just to gobble it up and then move on to the next thing. But for those of us who want to enter into relationship with God, a special chosen people kind of relationship, the question I have is, does God simply want a thanks? Is that all he's really after? Does he just want us to say, oh, by the way, thanks, God, and then get back to it? I don't think so. And I'm going to propose to you today that God wants more than just our thanks. He wants something much, much more. Turn your Bibles, please, to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. Uh, we won't stay there very long, but if you would, please, in your smartphones or the Bible that's in the pew right in front of you, so we can read this together. Ephesians, chapter 5. 
the Apostle Paul is trying to explain to us what this next level relationship is like and what it means for us to be this kingdom of priests and how God is good to us, but our response to his goodness has to be more than just simple thanks. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, and here's what it says. You can follow along with me or just listen. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The Apostle Paul says what God has been trying to do back in Exodus and is trying to do now is to help us understand that we are children of God if we accept him as our father. That he has loved us like fathers and mothers love their children. That's why God provides protection. That's why God provides leadership. That's why God provides purpose, just like you do for your children in your family. And Apostle Paul says, now that you begin to understand that you are children of God, he says, your response then has to be more than just gratitude. He says, be imitators of God and live a life of love. That sounds great, a life of love. Who doesn't want to live a life of love, right? But what does that actually mean? Look at what he says next. So far, so good. We're like a life of love. Amen to that. But he says this, like Christ, Christ loved us, and then he gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. See, in God's expression, love equals sacrifice. Love equals equals sacrifice. In our culture, love does not equal sacrifice. Usually in our culture, love is a precursor to possession. In other words, in our culture, love is a precursor to something that I want or must have, must possess. Love in our culture is not selfless. It's usually very selfish. It is motivated by our desires and our wants. But in God's expression of love, it's the opposite. Love equals sacrifice. So the, the, the Apostle Paul challenges us, live a life of love, which means a life of sacrifice. Now that doesn't sound good, let's be honest. It doesn't sound promising or there's no amens to that one. Because we are raised in a culture that challenges us in this area. We are raised in a time in our earth's history where sacrifice is kind of frowned upon. That's why, you know, people say, why would you pay money to run in this 5K? Never mind that the money goes to feed the homeless and say, but it doesn't make any sense. It's counterintuitive. Why would you give up your money when you could be doing something for yourself? But Paul says, everyone does that. But you and I have been called into a next level relationship as children of God. So the idea that we're kingdom bearers means that in this kingdom, we represent a different king. See? When sin entered the world, the Bible tells us that, that, that Satan began to take dominion over the earth. Originally, it was entrusted to us, but we sold it out to him. And so Satan began to take dominion over the earth, and that's why bad things and evil things happen. And to this place, God has come to reclaim the earth. How? By sending his son to pay the price for our sins. And now that we believe in that, we then begin to introduce a new kingdom, a new king. 
We're reclaiming and recapturing the earth for his glory. And so our new king's values and the present kingdom's values are on opposite directions. So in this world, love usually equals selfishness. But for our king, love equals self-sacrifice. And so he calls us here and he says, so live a life of love like Christ did, who gave himself up. Who gave himself up. Turn from there from Ephesians, a few more pages to Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. This is what he says, same author, now he's writing to the church at Philippi, and he's trying to explain this concept, and he says this. If you have received any encouragement for being united with Christ, if you have uh, received any comfort from Christ's love, if, if you had any fellowship with the Spirit, any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Look at, look at this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Next level relationship with God means that we must begin to change the way we are wired and begin to line up ourselves along God's interests. And God's interests are always selfless, other-directed. Look at what he says. Your attitude, verse 5, should be the same as Christ, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And he humbled himself and became obedient, even to death on a cross. See, that's the kingdom that we are now representing. The kingdom that says that we will do anything and everything for the sake of someone else. That we will put ourselves out, sacrifice, for the benefit of someone else. So the question I have for you and for me today is, do you want to enter into this next level kind of relationship? See, some, some of us have been fooled along the way when it comes to Christianity. I don't know how, I don't know exactly when it started or, or, or how we conveyed this message, but some of us have been fooled into thinking that if we become Christians, then our life will be easier, better, more blessed. And while that last phrase is true technically, the blessings that we receive are not for ourselves. It's just not the way God works. And so some of us think or have been told somehow, I don't know how, but we have been told that if we start coming to church and start worshiping and praising, then things will get better. And so we become disillusioned when our circumstances don't change. Amen? This is the way it works. People say, man, I've been praying about this thing and it hasn't gotten better. So I'm beginning to doubt God. So we begin to think God not as our king, but more as our servant. More as our, I don't know, Santa Claus? More as our personal goodwill bank account where we think, okay, God, if I do this for you, then you will do this for me. And we've, we've sort of lost sight of what Christianity is. It isn't an invitation to a life that's simply happier, carefree, and full of butterflies. It is an invitation to submit ourselves to a new king. The counterintuitive portion of this, though, is as we submit ourselves to this new king, we will be blessed, but not the way we think. We are blessed because God is good, 
not because we deserve it. And we are blessed, not just so that you and I can be happier and have more, but we are blessed only in order so that we might bless more. We might bless others. So the true invitation here in this next level relationship is to forget about ourselves. (laughs) Did you hear that? No one said amen, of course, because no one wanted to say it. Each of you should look not only to your interests, but also to the interests of others. Of others. And that's like the hardest thing to think about in Thanksgiving. You know why? Because when you were in line for the last piece of pumpkin pie, the last thing you wanted was someone to take that. Right? You had your eye on that big turkey drumstick. You know, there's only two and, and the bird. But you're like, oh, he better not take that. I'm going to be all over him if he takes that. See, we're, we're, we're sort of wired humanly to desire what we want. And, and, and our culture actually applauds those that go out and get theirs. Right? We applaud those that work hard to get what they want to achieve their own dreams. But we as a people, at least those who choose to enter into this next relationship, are not meant to live that way. In fact, we're supposed to live in such a way that it challenges that in other people. We're supposed to live in such a way that we call attention not to ourselves, but to the God we follow. And that, my friends, is impossible in our own strength and abilities. That's why we rely on God. That's why we rely on his mercy and his grace and his Holy Spirit. So the Apostle Paul says, so if you've been blessed by the Spirit, if God has been good to you in any way, then this is how you express thanks, not just with your word, but with the life of sacrifice. So that's the question I have for you, for myself, or for my family. Wait a minute. What are we doing then for the sake of other people? What kind of sacrifices can we make? Okay, you're in Philippians. Just go a little further. We're going to be in Colossians now, chapter 3. Just flip a few pages. Get your Bible workout. Chapter 3. <clears throat> what kind of sacrifices that we make? Beginning with verse 12, chapter 3, Colossians 3. Same author, he says, therefore, as God's chosen people, you see that? You see what he just did? He referred us back to the Old Testament, back to that invitation where God says, if you follow my instructions, you will be my chosen people. So Paul says, so if you want to be chosen people, and by the way, let me just make this clear. This invitation is for anyone, but not everyone will say yes. And you might be in the valley of decision now. I understand that. I also know that some of us are just going to say no. But God's invitation is still there. But it's only for those who say yes. God says, if, through the words of Paul, therefore as God's chosen people, if you want to be God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, he says, then clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. These all sound like great things, but in order for you and I to live them, it means we have to sacrifice the other things that generally dominate how we act. Look at this. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. You know, the funny thing about Thanksgiving is it brings up old wounds. No, don't say amen to that, but I know it's true. You were sitting at the table and you were remembering and you're like, oh, yeah, 
I know, I remember. We were talking, my, friend, my, my, my family and I were talking, and we were sort of laughing about the things my dad did to us when we were kids. And it's funny, but not really. Do you know what I mean? You know what I'm talking about. You're like, yeah, I remember when you did this to me. and <laughs> Right? There's still a little wounding left in us. Some of us, were still, still deeply wounded at the things our parents did to us. And we'll say things like, well, they didn't know any better, but they should have. They should have. Or we might be wounded at the things our cousins, our siblings did to us. And we might even be in this moment in conflict. Isn't it sad but true that some of us can't wait for them to leave? Hmm? Oh, yes, yes, come on over for Thanksgiving. Oh, we'll have a wonderful family time. Oh, my gosh, we're going to leave. And Paul says that's what you're naturally inclined to, to be hurt and then to hold on to that grievance. But look, he says, but in order to love God, in order to reflect him, we must Bear with one another. That means we have to not, more than just put up, he says, we must forgive whatever grievances you must, you have against one another. Woo, how would you like to read that at your Thanksgiving table? And so now, instead of saying thanks for the things that we are blessed with, wonderful weather, fantastic city, we are going to express forgiveness for one another. Would you like to be at my table when I say that? Let's, let's forgive one another. And then you turn to your brother and you say, I forgive you for these and these, these things. Would you do that? No, because some of us feel like if I forgive him or her, then they're just going to turn around and do it again. Right? My dad told me that. My dad said, don't give them an inch. They'll take a, a mile. He says, don't give them an inch. They'll take a mile. He says, if you apologize, they're just going to walk all over you. Watch out. People are always looking out to take advantage of you. But the Apostle Paul says, for those of us that are in a new next level relationship with God, we're not concerned, we're not concerned with getting payment for the things done against us. We're not concerned with being found Right. We're not concerned. We're finally getting what we deserve. What we are concerned with is gentleness, patience, humility, and forgiveness. Look at this. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Earlier this, uh, this last month, um, we were meeting with the men's group, and um, we were talking about marriage. And in that conversation, uh, there's a gentleman, a teacher on the video who was sharing to us what kind of relationship God has, you know, laid out for us, husbands and wives. And then he says, and you must love your wife and forgive her the same way that God forgave you. And we're like, ah, that's kind of hard, right? Because here's the thing. We talked about it. We said, you know, sometimes, and by the way, women feel this way too. Uh, your husband, your, your significant other does something and then... And then they go, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I promise I'll make it up to you. Or I'm sorry, forgive me, you know. And then you look at them and you say, yeah, I've heard this one before. You ever done that? You don't say it out loud because that would be rude. But you're like, sure, sure, whatever. But in your mind you're like, eh. Ever done that? Don't say it, man, but I see you. I see you. You got the look on your face. 
You're like, I know how this song is going to turn out. I know how this works. I know because I've done it. I'm telling my wife, oh, sorry, honey, I, I, I promise I'll get it to you this time. And she's like, okay. But secretly she says, I'm going to have to do it myself because he's never going to come through the promise. I just know him. I know how this works. And so what we think is that we can figure out people and treat, him, treat them according to our sense of what's right and wrong. We say, well, we can't trust this person. We, we can't really forgive them because they don't really mean that we know them. But imagine if God treated us that way. What if you said, God, please forgive me, and God would say, yeah, but I know how this song is going to turn out. God, please, I promise, I made a mistake. Forgive my sins. I won't do it again. Imagine if God said, okay, but you don't have a prayer. Imagine that. Isn't that crazy? And it is so awesome that God does not think that way. That, in fact, every time you apologize, God thinks you are actually being sincere. And treating you as if you were sincere. Yes, he does know better, but he does not treat us that way. He does not treat us the way we deserve. He treats us according to how much he values us. And you know how much he values us? Above all else. The Bible says, you read it, Jesus Christ gave up everything and became obedient even to death on the cross. And so our challenge then is to love each other with that kind of compassion where we will not use someone's track record against them. Can you imagine that? That I'll look at my brother or sister or wife or child and knowing fully well what they've done in the past to me that this moment, this promise, I will believe as true. Or that this apology I will consider genuine sincere. So forgive as God forgives you. Woo! That's a sacrifice. It means that I have to sacrifice my righteous indignation, my sense that I was right all along. I have to sacrifice the sense that I will be vindicated in this situation. I knew I shouldn't have trusted you. You couldn't keep a promise. I have to sacrifice all that and instead extend grace, love, forgiveness, and this marvelous idea that I believe their heart is true, even if their actions don't follow that. Beyond that, God is challenging us to sacrifice not just for us and our family. Everybody does that. Even non-believers will protect their family. But God wants us to sacrifice for the sake of the world. For the sake of the world. And that's what he means when he says... Imitate Jesus Christ. Do you know that Jesus Christ died for those who love him and for those who hate him? Do you know that he would give up his life even for those who would reject him? That's what he had to go through. The Bible says to his own people who came and they rejected him. Would you do the same? Would you be willing to pour yourself out for somebody you knew was going to turn their back on you? Would you serve them dinner if you knew they were not going to be grateful for it? That's what Jesus does, and that's the challenge that we've been given. So the question I have for you is, what do you need to think about in your life that maybe God wants you to sacrifice for the sake of others? Next level relationship. God doesn't just want your gratitude. It's not just, okay, thanks God for the Sabbath and thank you for this food and now let me go out and do whatever I want. God wants us to live a life that represents his kingship everywhere we are. And that can best be done, listen carefully, not through your words, 
but through your sacrifice, through what you're willing to give up for the sake of others. And unfortunately, that challenges the core of who we are. Because at our core, we are selfish. Very much selfish. Yeah, we're getting there. We're almost there. It's a good song. We're going to sing it in a second. God wants us to love him with the kind of love that reflects him as the leader, not what the rest of the world believes, not along the lines of the rest of the world. And he doesn't want us to just do lip service. Thank you, God, for all these great things. I'm so lucky. I'm so fortunate. He wants us to bless the world by sacrificing ourselves for it. You know that our world is filled with bad things and bad people, right? And oftentimes we as Christians, we go, woo, thank God we're not like that. But that's not what's in the heart of God. God grieves and he pleads and he cries for the people that you and I look with disdain at. God's heart breaks for the people that have hurt us. God's heart breaks for those that have done us harm. And he's challenging us to let our hearts be broken for them as well. So friends, he wants more than just thanks. He wants a life of love, which equals a life of sacrifice. What are you willing to sacrifice to represent your God? In this season, as we begin Christmas, it's right around the corner. You, some of y'all probably have your Christmas trees up. I don't know. In this season of quote-unquote giving, what would you be willing to give up for the sake of someone else? What would you be willing to sacrifice for the sake of someone else?